0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Very pleased today to welcome back to the table, Jeremy Kimball. And Jeremy recently shared with our church family a message from God's Word in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 75. And we invite you to grab a coffee or whatever you want to grab, turn up your device big and loud, and join Jeremy and me as we discuss this passage of Scripture so, Jeremy, it's great to have you back with us.
1: Great to be here. Love doing this podcast, Bart.
0: We, we love having you, and, and we've made it to Thursday uh, night, Thursday evening of the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. A lot going on here. Yes. But yes. before we begin that discussion, I've been asking each of our guests here over the past few weeks, what about our study in Matthew these past eight months? It's been mm-hmm. eight months, Jeremy. Yeah. What about Matthew has most impacted your life?
1: That's a great question. There's there's much to say. I think the main thing, and even this week, studying for this message and for another one as well coming up for me, I I think it is the identity of Jesus, but but more specifically the authority of Jesus. Matthew shows a person, the God-man, who says to wind and waves, be still, and they are He says to demons, flee, and they do. He says to disease, be gone, and it is. He says to death, be reversed and bring back life to this person, and it happens. So I've just been, in terms of gazing at Christ and his identity, have been awed again and again at the idea of his authority. And it was honestly last week in our preaching team meeting that Chris Miller brought up again that Jesus is not a hapless victim here. Even in that ridiculous courtroom scene, this trial, he's saying things that are bringing about this end because this plan is going to be perfectly accomplished in the authority of the triune God. And it's just astounding to see Jesus
0: as that. You mentioned all these things that Jesus has said and it happened. My mind immediately goes to John's account. Mm-hmm. When he said in response to the the leaders there, the people who had come to get him, he said, "I am." I am. Yes, and they fell backwards. Yes, is
1: amazing. It is that that is one we haven't gotten for for Matthew. Obviously, sure. it's in John's account, but it is one of those moments where he says those words from Exodus three in his identity. And they seem to physically even recognize
0: the authority of this person. It's astounding. It really is. It really is. So, Jeremy, over the past couple weeks, we've been commenting numerous times about how Jesus has meticulously guided the events leading up to the cross. You mentioned that here just a few moments ago, Hmm. how nothing has happened that he didn't allow to happen. And let's just say it again, Jesus' as his actions here in this part of the narrative only continue to show what we've seen throughout the whole of Matthew's gospel, that is that Jesus is fully in control. Let's take that, let's just keep talking about that. It's so important to see Jesus' control 2,000 years ago, and the same yesterday, today, forevermore. He's still in control.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's important to recognize because if we, if we flip the coin over and say, well, he's not in control, what, what does that leave us with? My, it would leave us with a chaotic um, world even beyond what we see now with no real confidence that he's working all things for good, with no real confidence that he is accomplishing purposes that will lead to the end, which is a new creation. And so, yes, Jesus is presently enthroned, as Psalm 110 prophesied he would be. Hebrews 1 says that he is creator, sustainer, sent the right hand of majesty on high. And he is supreme overall, and he will one day come and he will finish this plan of redemption to bring about a new creation. So all the Bible hangs, in in essence, on the fact that God is who he says he is in his knowledge as well as his sovereignty.
0: Jeremy, one of the opening comments in your presentation, you said something like this, truth must always lead our understanding of events. Now, now we've talked numerous times on the podcast throughout the past year and a half about the need for the Christian to develop appropriate biblical disciplines. And I'm mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. that this area of how I, as God's child, am to understand events in my life has to be dependent on the development of those types of disciplines. Mm-hmm. Can you share your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just... The idea of saying... Disciplines are going to frame the way, and say biblical disciplines, sure. that is time in the word, time in prayer, consistency with a church community. Those disciplines are going to frame the way that I think, how I feel, how I actually will and live in this life. We, we, we all are aware, I'm sure, of moments where our feelings can outpace <laughs> our thinking. And to say, man, our, our feelings should always be checked and given parameters by what is actually true so as i know the truth by day by day going into the word of god and praying and getting with my small group my class and, and hearing the word of god there as well it helps me to know in that circumstance when that feeling arises when i want to do something that's contrary to god's word that's all bring me back they're guardrails help me help me to recognize no this is the way to live this is the call of my life to recognize these things are genuinely true and if they are then the call of my life is to live in this way and not in those other
0: ways and you talk about discipline you talk about framing i like that concept i hadn't heard it put that quite that way before but the whole idea of as something comes at us no matter what it is the the cold blast from a winter storm mm. or or anything what is my first response is it Jesus, and I don't want to get down, you know, do you see Jesus in every little snowflake and, and type of thing? Perhaps we should, but the point is, we need to be thinking immediately when something comes at us, especially a trial or a, a difficult situation. Yes, okay, what does the Bible say? Not what do I see, not what do I feel, as you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean,
1: Second Corinthians 10 tells us that we should take every thought captive to go. obey Christ, and so. My thoughts can go a million directions, and they have to be disciplined and trained to bring things back to Christ. For example, um, most times when, when I hit difficulty of some kind, my prayers can very quickly go to, God, get me out from under this pressure. Get me out from under this pressure. And instead, I, I mean, that's not a bad thing to, always, to pray necessarily, but... But we also want to recognize what are the ways in which God is forming us to be the kinds of people that he will use for his purposes. And so to say, God, would you please alleviate what it may be is a good prayer? And, and alongside of that, we could add as well, Lord, in this, help me to learn the lessons you want me to learn. Help me to become the person you want me to be. Help me to be able to minister to the people that I could then minister to as a result of going through this hardship that I couldn't have otherwise. Those are all needful things to keep in mind as a perspective beyond just the, God, make my life comfortable and easy. And to recognize in a fallen world, that won't be the case. And God is turning uh, all events of our lives toward a Romans 8, 29 goodness, which means being conformed to the image of Christ.
0: And sometimes just saying, please help this finite person, yes. understand your purposes in this. And,
1: and the beautiful thing, yes, and, and we should pray that, Bar, I ho- wholly agree, because uh, there's a verse in Psalm 103 that says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. <laughs> that, that's who we are. That's all that we are. And to go to God, and he doesn't belittle us because that's who we are. He knows that about us, and he loves us
0: and wants us to come to him, uh, and he wants to care for his children. The Father's love, understanding that great, great context for which to evaluate anything. God has a plan, and it's coming to fruition. It can't be thwarted. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm, Yeah. Okay, you spoke those words (laughs) or something like them the other day. Those phrases, Jeremy, let's be honest, they're not an easy thing to understand. God is sovereign. We know that. I have responsibilities and can choose to fulfill or not fulfill those responsibilities. And if God is sovereign, does that mean that he causes bad things to happen? Uh, really hard concepts. You and I have talked about this uh, even recently. How do we deal with all this? How do we put the puzzle together?
1: Yeah, so we're, again, talking about this in relation to Sunday's message. We thought through Judas's betrayal, Caiaphas's trial, and Peter's denial, all sinful actions done against Christ, but all things that we would say this is in accordance with the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, as Acts 2.23 says. So, how does all that fit together? It, it is... Next bar- question. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is one of the more difficult questions theologically to think of, but we should. We should as church members think through these Don't things well. That's yeah. right, absolutely. And so we, we can go to many verses that tell us of the sovereignty of God. I mentioned two on Sunday. Uh, Psalm, um, I'm drawing a blank on the the Psalm. Psalm Psalm 15, verse two, people say, where's your God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Or Ephesians 1.11, he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. If you read Isaiah 40 through 48, numerous references to God's sovereignty over all things, even like mighty nations like Assyria in Isaiah 10, or Daniel 4 when Nebuchadnezzar, this mighty king, says, look at all that I've made, and God reduces him to an animal. And Nebuchadnezzar recognizes at the end of that chapter, this is the one true God who's sovereign over all things. We know that. We also recognize there's a call in our lives, God says to repent and believe in Jesus, for example. He calls us to obey and live in holiness and love, for example. Uh, those, are, those are calls to the will of humanity. We also, third, know that we live in a fallen world. It's post-Genesis 3. Sin is real. Death is real. Pain and suffering is real. Now the question is, okay, how do you put those three realities together in a way that, that makes sense of all these matters biblically? And that's a difficulty. We can never speak of God's sovereignty that eliminates human freedom and responsibility. And we should never speak of human freedom and responsibility in a way that eliminates God's sovereignty. Right? So we, we always recognize those things. And in relation to that, we see a fallen world in which we live. God works in a fallen world to accomplish his purposes through people, he works through Pharaoh who hardens his heart and lives in a way that is contrary to God and his purposes, but he's still used for God's purposes anyway, Romans 9 says. He works through Moses, who submits to God's plan and wants to walk in accordance with God's plan. Uh, He, in Genesis 37 to 50, takes someone like Joseph, who is sinned against by his brothers they cast them into a pit. They sell them into slavery. It's it's sinful to sell your brother into slavery, Bart. That's just not a, not anything to do, right? So, So that's that's true. But um, the idea by the end of Genesis chapter fifty, Joseph is saying to his brothers, "What you intended for evil, God meant for good, to bring about the salvation of a nation, and really nations." And so we recognize here is a God who is willing that we have a fallen world wherein we are going to see God fully displaying his love and his, his, his uh, holiness. And in that, he is working a plan toward Christ accomplishing the salvation of a people through the cross and resurrection. And that's a sketch. The details, bark get more difficult to think through. And I know we talked before about the fact that we all, all of us walk through pain, suffering, difficulty, and trial. And it can be difficult to square all that with that reality, but we can know God is sovereign, God is good, God is wise, and is working all things toward a perfect end where, I'll I'll finish with this, this part here, to say this slight momentary affliction, Paul says, which he went through a lot of afflictions, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so this suffering we do have in this life will be outweighed infinitely, In new creation,
0: you mentioned we are post Genesis three. Would it be appropriate to add we're pre Revelation twenty one? Amen. Yes. Yes. You said yes. So we
1: are in between the times, and we're awaiting that day, knowing God is sovereign. He has allowed for this world to be fallen in nature, and He is working
0: a plan toward that end. Revelation twenty one, and we're also pre chapter twenty six verse sixty four, where Jesus says. I tell you, in the future, you'll see the Son of Man yes. seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes,
1: we. that's why I prayed... The whole thing. I prayed Sunday, come Lord Jesus. You see that there and you say, we want you
0: to come and make all things right. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, so Jeremy, we see numerous trials in this passage. You've recounted a number of them. Jesus' betrayal, the disciples' mm-hmm. fear and scattering. Mm-hmm. Peter, he denies his savior, his friend. And you summarized the role of trials in a believer's life. You you said that trials are meant to conform us to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. Trials often evoke pain. Is Jesus, let's continue this discussion on God's sovereignty, Jesus' sovereignty, is Jesus in the business of allowing his people to be hurt?
1: God is in the business of making us like Christ, And he recognizes that that happens through a variety of means, including suffering. So I'm just going to read a couple passages here briefly just to support this. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access through him by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Very similar to James 1, Mm -hmm. which I think many people would know these verses here. James 1, uh, verse 2 says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith Produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And and one of the heroes to say, I'll, I'll say that to say, God, yes, uses this world as it is, and the the experiences we do have, as painful as they are, to produce character in us. That's one piece of it. A second piece is to say, don't forget, what's coming in the new creation will so blow your categories, it will. Uh, in your existence, bring about a glory that just shuts away sin, sorrow, pain, death, all those things to a degree that you only know a world of love in God's presence, which is astounding. And then, and then Romans 8, 28, 29, a lot of us know, we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. But it's important to go to verse 29 because that says that, Those before knew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the good that God is doing in our lives is the conforming us to the image of Jesus. And I'll just say one last thing here, which is to say, I do this all the time in classes that I teach. How many of you would say, raise of hands, I've grown to be most like Christ in the good, easy, comfortable, happy times of life? (laughs) And, and Bart, I've yet to see someone raise their hand. And I ask, like, now, when you've gone through difficulty, trial, and sorrow, and suffering, who, who would say, that's when I've grown the most to become more like Christ? And, and hands just shoot up. And when I say that, I am in no way, in no way, trying to demean any pain or suffering or trial in our church's life. You've been through suffering and trials. I have two. We, we could recount stories right now for probably for hours of our own trials. And I know that our church bases that as well. And I want to say these things not to demean or belittle suffering, but to be able to place purposefulness of God in your suffering.
0: You and I have sought to serve the Lord. I'm thinking in my mind as you're talking there, somewhere combined well over 50 years, Mm -hmm. you and I have sought to study, we've sought to learn, I'm going to ask Jeremy Kimball. I know where I am. Do you understand everything about this whole subject? <laughs>
1: I think we're in the same place to say, no, Bart. We're I, all I, in the same boat. Yeah, is where I'm going. We, what I'm trying to say before is saying like, well, there's the, the parameters of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in a fallen world. We we know these things. The way in which every single detail goes together, I can't quantify. I, I could tell you stories about my upbringing. I'm 41, Bart. I still look back and say, I I wonder why
0: that had to be that
1: way. Yeah. And I look at it, and I think, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I do know what I just read, and I do know God has made me the person that I am, and part of that equation are those things. But I, I could wish in my, my flesh that I had not experienced some of those things. I would not gone through some of those things, and I think anyone would say that. So to say, yes, I, I understand all this in terms of how it comes together theologically and how it fits in your life perfectly, n- no, none of us are going to say that.
0: And back to that idea of discipline, one of the things that's helped me when I don't understand something, because uh, it gets confusing you, the further down in the weeds you get. The thing that has helped me is to remember in each circumstance the circumstances may change but God is always God.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I've got to go there. Yeah. And and, and that. this
1: is why on Sunday I was I was really to encourage our people to say and, and for me too. Well, well I'm, I'm preaching, I'm encouraging me too, my heart to say God's trustworthy plan was at at work here in the cross and therefore we can trust God's plan. I I've got I've got a, a friend who loves to say God is faithful and you can trust him. That's really simple bar. And His it's like PhD level though. <laughs> it in in terms of like actually doing it, it is, brother. I mean, thinking through I don't always trust the plan. I was just being told that he is faithful, that faithfulness is shown most exemplary at the cross, and therefore I can trust him. Uh yes, God's sovereignty, responsibility, fallenness. We want we want to think about all these things in depth. We should. And at the end of the day, recognize as I see these things. I trust the Lord in His plan.
0: And surrounding yourself with people who are going to remind you of that when the clouds are so low that you can't see.
1: Yeah, I got got a I got a text this morning prayer request. It's it's somewhat long standing waiting on the Lord, and and been praying for that need today and saying knock on the door. Yes, and and we say we don't know all the details, the plans as the why and the what. We trust the Lord in the process and recognize he has good in mind. And again, that good is to conform us to Christ. And we need people around us to remind us of that.
0: And then we get to passages like verses 57 through 68. This is the narrative of Jesus as being brought before Caiaphas And I got to tell you, from my vantage point 2,000 years later, you were sharing uh, from the platform the other day, I'm thinking, you know, this part of the story would would almost be funny if it weren't so tragic. Right. We're seeing here the the impossible situation Caiaphas has put himself in. And you pointed out the ways that Jesus has to help the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas, in the presentation of their case. Yeah. A piece of, this, of the story like this make me appreciate the extreme measures that Jesus took to do what he came to do. Yeah. He, I mean, he didn't only write the story, author the story. He actually played a big part as both a protagonist and even an antagonist, if you will,
1: yeah, in it's this case. A, it's a way to put that. Yeah, certainly in terms of... It's just interesting to note all these false witnesses come forward and nothing's sticking. And then these two guys come forward and say, hey, he said he could destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And Caiaphas says, "What? Well, tell us you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. If he remains silent, he goes free. And he's done that before. Right. He, if he remains silent, he goes free. There's no crucifixion, no nothing. They, they can't make anything stick. And so he knows, I'll go right there. You've said so. You inadvertently recognizing, yes. That is who I am. I'll tell you a little more. I've already told you in Matthew 24, 30. And uh, thereby, he does seal his own fate.
0: I've had bad days. I've had bad days this past week. Hmm. I've never had a day, I don't think, (laughs) like Peter had here on Thursday night. He's self-righteously declared his undying loyalty to the Lord, his... Been denying, he's ready to deny Jesus, he's uh, hes told. He's yep. twice fallen asleep during one of the most critical times of his Savior's ministry. Okay. He's been rebuked by his Lord when he resorts to the sword. He, he's run away when Jesus was apprehended. And then, of course, you know, we read here and you focused on this, he's fulfilled Jesus's prophecy of his denying his dear friend and his Savior. Hmm tough night <clears throat> but you shared about the hope that Jesus gives Peter and all of us who have sinned against him yeah dwelling on that sure hope that God gives all who sin against him is a great way to end our discussion here I think yeah I,
1: I just I, I know it's not I could if I stopped there in terms of preaching and like that's the content and we'll just stop there and not go any further I, I could have done that i I thought it might be a little more hopeful <laughs> to, to press on and and to recognize the The restoration of Peter, that beautiful moment in John twenty one, where Jesus comes and asks him three times, "Do you love me?" And he says, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." And the 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 way in which Jesus does this, and even Ron commented over the Lord's Supper on Sunday, it was really just beautiful. Yes, he did. Ron said, um, "Jesus, friends." Took off and Peter denies him, and then Ron said, "And we thank God for that." And I thought, "Where's he going to go with that?" You know. <laughs> and then, and then he said, "Because we recognize in the disciples running and Peter's denial, God's heart of forgiveness of sin when we confess our sins." And I thought, "That's
0: beautiful." And we recognize ourselves.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to first service, trying to just keep myself composed when he said that. Just not, not to burst into tears because I thought that's just beautifully said and understanding Peter's denial, what he felt, he wept bitterly. And then Jesus imagining that coming and saying, your sins are forgiven in confession. And to say to us, every time you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then to help you, to give you empowerment by grace and the spirit to walk in the light, to walk in obedience and um, that, that dual pronged idea of God forgiving and God empowering is a really beautiful thing. And I think for us as a church, to say this, Bart, I think for us as a church, we can read a text like that and say, that's wonderful and beautiful for two things for us, to be confessing our sins in prayer. It could be a a lack at times in our prayer life, perhaps. And then to say, man, this is what we do actually in community. Our church is not, one, one author I was reading recently said, our church should not be a safe place for sin but our church should be a safe place for confession and repentance. I thought that was well said. Not a safe place for sin. We don't want to just let sin abound here. That's not at all what we're about. But it should be a safe place for confession and repentance and then saying, hey, together, let's go forward and grow and obey the Lord.
0: And to complete that circle, too, we need to make sure that we are not only confessing, but that we're receiving forgiveness. Isn't that such an important part of that? There's
1: another podcast right there, but to say at times it is easy to condemn oneself and live under condemnation, but instead to say, no, I'm going to receive the truth of God's word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's again where truth has to outrun our feelings right? and preach that truth to our own soul and have others preach it to us in community which is why, again, an ABF or a small group is so crucial for our lives as Christians here at Grace.
0: Well, Jeremy, we've covered a lot. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your work and your preparation for not an easy sermon to preach, I know. And I really appreciate what you've done. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Jeremy Kimball has been my guest for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon from Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 75, and you can access that message as well as other Grace Baptist Church sermons and podcast episodes by using your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecederville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking Podcast on the Media tab. We'll also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecederville.org. That's contact at gracecederville.org. And plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's word in Matthew chapter 27. Until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.